The Healthcare Quality Cast is powered by the Quality Coaching Company. If you'd like to work with us to earn your Lean Six Sigma for healthcare certification or partner with our innovative corporate training and coaching programs to successfully scale your continuous improvement initiatives, then click the link below to learn more and apply. Hey, quality people, welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and in this podcast, we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring industry leaders. We dive deep into the career journeys of these leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for their patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. Now, let's meet today's quality guests. Thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today, I'm here with my guest, Akawande Ashode. Akawande, are you ready to share with some quality people? Most definitely. Thank you, Jarvis, for having me on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for saying yes. But, um, you know, to get into it, you know, we love to start every show with positive affirmations to really get our momentum going. So I'd love if you could share with us a favorite leadership quote or leadership mindset, but tell us why it appeals to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis? Most definitely. Well, I start my day off with with, uh, morning affirmations. And the one on my top list is um, be the light that you want to see in the world. Um, this kind of goes direct, this correlates directly with my leadership quote, which is started with Theodore Roosevelt and then slowly became adapted by a salesperson called Zig Ziglar. And that is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care about them. Um, about them pieces, the Zig Ziglar part, everything else was from Theodore Roosevelt. So that's that's my affirmation and uh, my leadership mindset. You know, it's important to know your people um, in order in order to be effective and be able to communicate um, the value that you have for them. All right. So I will say personally, I love that only because, I mean, it's so funny you would share that quote. Um, to the best of my memory, which isn't always a good thing, um, I think that's the first and only Zig Ziglar quote that we've had on the podcast. <laughs> but I am right now. I just started reading one of the one of Zig Ziglar's books. Um, I started about two weeks ago, and I've I'm taking it in just a little bit at a time because this dude is dropping knowledge all over the place. And that quote came up in this book, and I was like, "Oh, that's a phenomenal quote. I love that quote." So you don't know how much uh, say it say it again. I'm going to butcher it now myself. But you don't <laughs> know how much people care until they until you show them. Yeah. So people, people don't care how much care. you know until they know how much you care. Exactly. Exactly. And Zig Ziglar's piece is about them, right? Because people just really, really care about themselves and have their own self-interest first. So, yeah. And, and Zig Ziglar, I guess, historically is like one of the top salespeople ever. It seems like now that I've started reading his material, Um, but to our audience, you know, our audience, Akawande is made up of healthcare leaders, quality folks, um, project management folks, like we're going to get into with your background, but to read non-healthcare stuff like a Zig Ziglar who is crazy with the amount of affirmations and just insightful knowledge that he provides. Um, I love it. I, I love the, the different kind of tweak on what you just shared there just to get us started. So no, no worries, Jarvis. And, and something I'll say, right? Like we're, although we are healthcare professionals at the end of the day, our patients 
uh, are our customers, right? So we're in a way we are in sales, right? Sales is a very, very soft skills language. Um, so like every day, even conversations with my, my wife, I'm in sales. So I always take, you know, a lot of books that I read about sales and apply that into my day-to-day -day life. So I think, I think a lot of sales metaphors and, and quotes and mindsets uh, can be easily translatable into anything um, that we do as healthcare professionals. Well, and it, it's to, you know, to your point there, that's a lesson that I'm learning now as still a developing entrepreneur. Um, I'm trying to grow more around my sales knowledge, my sales skills, and I'm learning to your point, a lot of what we do, everything is sales. And I have um, a, a seven-year-old and a three-year-old and I swear my three-year-old is always in a sales process, right? She's nonstop negotiating, telling me what she wants, demanding. And I was like, that's sales. I mean, she, she's literally <laughs> putting it out there. So um, no, again, just some, some really cool insights, um, at least from the leadership and entrepreneurial side of my life. And I, I hope a lot of that starts to really resonate with uh, our audience who are plugging in and listening to this. Um, but let's get more to about you. So Akawanda, I'd love if you could share with us just really quickly, you know, some background on your current role and the work that you're leading, um, professional background for sure, and definitely what led you into this career path. Yeah, most definitely. So currently I'm the president and founder of the Avery Group. We're a management consulting firm based out of the Atlanta metro area. Um, our mission is to break barriers um, in order to enable success. Um, our industries are primarily government, um, so we have a few projects within CDC as well as the Veterans and uh, Veterans Affairs Administration, the Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, both of those projects are a little bit different. Um, for the VA, we're helping revamp their healthcare, um, our electronic health records system. We're modernizing it for all of VA, as well as um, integrating a new supply chain system. Um, within the health, the VA health system. Um, for, the, for the CDC, a little bit different. We're doing a lot more strategy and PMO support work. Um, for those who aren't familiar, PMO pro, um, program management office. So we're doing a lot of strategic planning, helping some CDC um, centers um, identify how funding flows for when they receive it into the results that they're actually providing to the American citizens. Um, and then we've also done a lot of other things in, re revolving around governance, risk, and compliance, um, such as internal control assessments, as well as IT audits um, for several nonprofits and commercial work. Um, prior, to, prior to me starting and founding um, the Avery Group, um, I was in the military for about 15 years. I joined the military immediately out of high school. Um, and the benefit that I have that a lot of other soldiers don't have is that, you know, I was able to become, be a citizen as well as a soldier simultaneously. Um, so in my, as part of the Army National Guard. Um, in my soldier life um, or in my soldier career, I was a financial manager or, financial manager or a comptroller. Um, I also supported um, signal efforts. So that's a, a lot around telecommunications um, as well as internet communications. And I also was a contract specialist, which, which actually gave me my first, uh, allowed me to dip my toe into the government contracting world as a buyer for the government. Um, and now, you know, I don't even know, maybe over a decade later since my military, since the military, my military career, um, I'm now actually still serving 
um, in some, some way, shape or form, just not directly as a soldier. Um, upon my transition, as, as I mentioned before, I was a civilian and a soldier. Um, I just kind of ran through my, my career as a soldier. As a civilian, um, I started my career actually in healthcare as a budget analyst for um, New Jersey Medicaid, um, where I supported the you know, onboarding of the Affordable Care Act. Um, what I did there was I provided a lot of cost benefit analysis to um, New Jersey legislature to understand, you know, the impact uh, and the cost savings if we were to adopt the Affordable Care Act. Um, and I also provided a lot of different budget briefings um, for New Jersey legislature. And one of the most important things, one of the things I'm most proud of is I helped conduct um, independent verification and independent ver validation for the new um, New Jersey Medicaid system that was being onboarded while I was there. Um, kind of stopped being a civilian full-time full um, and decided to be a soldier because I wanted to serve even more so. And I had an opportunity to support the New Jersey, well, the Army National Guard, not New Jersey, um, and an, uh, an initiative um, called the Audit Readiness Initiative. Um, my account, my background is heavily involved in accounting. Um, I have a uh, bachelor's and a master's degree in accounting. Um, so it, it was a good fit. Um, what we were charged with is to revisit or to visit all the financial management processes within the Army National Guard um, and, able to, and be able to identify internal controls where there were gaps in internal controls, as well as identify weakness, weak, weak internal controls in hopes that we can strengthen them um, and get the Army National Guard into an audit, auditable state. Um, decided to go back into consulting after, I, I would say, two years of that experience, which was really great. Gave me a great high-level overview of the Army National Guard um, to start working with a pharma consulting firm. Um, during my time there, I, I was responsible for, you know, various, our clients' patient access programs. Um, so what I did, you know, working with payers and providers, setting up information technology systems to be able to communicate um, how the sales process is doing, as well as, you know, how many providers were prescribing um, the the treatment um, for that we were we were helping supporting to launch. Um, I did anything from call center operations to data analytics to um, data integration to you know anything anything you could possibly think of, and also supported um, setting up our quality assurance plan um, within that program. Um, decided to start my own business in government con contracting. I'd say about maybe six years ago. Um, and I was really, really unsuccessful. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I thought I had, I thought I had a high level overview because I was a buyer for the government at one point in my career, and I had seen how vendors operated and communicated with government buyers. And I thought, you know, hey, I can do this. Um, kind of fast forward, realized that I didn't know what I was doing. Um, so I decided to go to one of the industry leaders um, in accounting and consulting. Um, company, a big four firm by the name of PricewaterhouseCoopers, who had a lot of influence in government contracting at the time. Um, my wife is from New Orleans, so we decided to move to Atlanta. And it just so happened that, you know, my experience with PwC gave me an opportunity to work directly and support the CDC, um, which is kind of get, what gave me my first start into CDC and, be, and enabled me to branch out um, and start my own um, consulting practice.
Well, and I know, you know, from our first conversation, just that part, um, kind of what you just closed on in terms of having the vision to have your own business, taking a leap of faith, not being successful on the front end, coming back into industry, um, partnering with a leader that would allow you to kind of grow those different skills and still, you know, kind of keeping that vision, right, to kind of get back to your own, um, your own business. Again, for me, hearing that, you know, just really endeared me to you personally, because not a lot of folks are, are will take the humble path, right? Like, hey, I know I still have some gaps to fill in and, and make those types of decisions and still keep, keep at it with, you know, the ultimate goal to, you know, pursue your own business. Um, so congrats again from that point of view. Um, and, and again, thank you so much for everything you share with your background. Thank you for your service. Um, thank you. To, thank you for your support. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, again, I think that's the cool part with this podcast um, is just having the ability to hear stories like that. I mean, it, it's not a clear cut, you know, ABC career path. I mean, you've clearly made some stuff happen and you, you've been through um, quite a journey. And I feel like, you know, I'm looking at you and I'm like, he's still so young. <laughs> <laughs> so no, good stuff, man. Good stuff. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you for that overview. Um, let me let me kind of switch the the you know switch the focus of our show up um, for this next question. I've been historically calling this the dark place question. So I, I love if you could kind of take us on a journey to a point of your career that you would call your best moment of failure. Um, share with us, you know, the story and the background, but most importantly, the major lessons learned that you took from that moment. Yeah, I mean, kind of circling back to <laughs> back to. Uh, me starting my own business, right? I had it under a different name, had different color structure, I had a different vision at the time. Uh -huh. um, and I would say that was what, about five, six years ago. Um, I, after I transitioned from my military career, um, actually kind of back fast forward, it was actually a, a lot of different things um, that kind of put me on, on the path that I'm currently on now. Um, as I mentioned, I was in the military. Um, in the military, I was a non-commissioned officer, so I was an enlisted soldier. Um, a lot of the difference between enlisted for to kind of educate the audience a little bit the difference between enlisted and uh, commissioned officer is typically a college degree. Um, I had I've had a college degree um, even through since 2010. Um, and I think at this time, this was 2013. So I had applied to become a commissioned officer just because there's more prestige, there's more pay. Um, and you, there's a, a different level of responsibility from a uh, enlisted personnel to a commission to commission officer. Um, so I applied. I went to like the first phase of of training to become commissioned, um, and then I found out that I couldn't become an officer because I, I wasn't able to pass um, my physical. I had I had my own um, health health scare, um, and it kind of turned my world upside down because I had a, I had a goal, I had a vision, and that's exactly what I wanted to do. Um, so I re realized like I've, I've, I've gotten a lot of uh, opportunities in the military, but because I wasn't able to commission, I didn't necessarily know if the military was still for me. I didn't know if it had anything else to offer because my goal was to become an officer. Um, so I transitioned out of the military. As soon as I transitioned, I saw, you know, I was in DC. I saw that there was a lot of opportunity for, um, entrepreneurs in the government contracting space. So I decided to go after that path. Um, so I hit one, one roadblock with my military career, and then I'm trying to 
kind of forged this path for my entrepreneurship career. Um, and it was remaining very, 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 very stagnant for at least a year and a half. Um, and I, I, I came to the decision like, okay, I just recently got married. I think my wife and I were married for about three years at the time. And I had to really be really introspective and say, what am I doing here? You know, is anything that you're doing working? Because um, I wasn't getting any traction. I wouldn't even have opportunities to have second meetings after our first initial 15 minute meeting. So I was like, what am I doing wrong? What do I need to do? What do I like? I'm just not getting. I thought it was going to be like, hey, I have this certification, um, this government certification award me contracts. It should be that easy, right? Like I'm minority, I'm a service disabled veteran owned small business should be a very, very simple process. And it definitely wasn't. Um, so I took the time to really understand where I was in life um, and understood like where some of my gaps were um, and really took the time to become educated. So reading was a huge thing for me, um, reading about sales, reading about just the government contracting space, um, expanding my network outside of just my small network and my military network to other industry lead leaders, other healthcare professionals, join various organizations as well, um, just to get obtain that knowledge and be current in the industry. Um, and also um, just really aligning myself with a partner or a mentor. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I went to go join PwC to really see how industry leaders communicate with their clients, how the business development process works, what delivery looks like from, from the, the, the best in the industry. You know, how do we want to put together PowerPoint decks? How do we strategize? How do we collaborate with our clients? How do we become trusted advisors and trusted partners? And I think that experience at PwC gave me a lot of tools that put me in a position to be successful um, today, or even just achieve the limited success that we've already achieved with the Avery Group. So I would say my biggest failure is not not being not being um, commissioned in the military because I'd probably still be in the military today, um, and also really failing at my first opportunity because it gave me time to really be introspective, um, understand where some of my weaknesses are and gaps are, and give me the opportunity to strengthen them. No, I, I love that story, um, again, because, you know, we're talking about it, obviously, the, the end result up to now, at least, is, you know, growing success as an entrepreneur. Um, but I would say that, you know, that can still be applied, even if you were still pursuing kind of the corporate path. Um, so, and a lot of our listeners are going to be folks very much still pursuing corporate growth, corporate success in their career paths. But the way, as I hear that story, I mean, it absolutely applies, I think, either, either pathway. And it kind of brings to me this mindset where you can change the plan, but don't change the goal, right? So it'd be nice if it was an ABC success, but if your goal is to be an entrepreneur or if it's to be you know, the next senior director, the next CEO, whatever of a hospital or a health system, whatever the case may be, change the path, change the plan, but don't change the goal, right? Keep pushing towards that endpoint. And so, um, so again, I mean, just that, that focus to continue pushing, even if you had to redirect a little bit, um, good stuff. And, and to your point, Jarvis, that, I mean, that's a really, that's a really great point because there's so many opportunities in this world, right? And we are so different from each other, right? Like, although, you know, we have different commonalities, 
each that's why we we call each other individuals right we all have our own path we all have our own race to run right and that path even that path could could be a a hundred different ways right the idea is just to remain resilient and keep and keep forging on so 100% agree with you on that you know same desk have that destination have that goal in mind um and just be open to to the to what the world gives you you know just be i think that's the biggest thing like i read a book um from from um i can't remember his name he's the he's the leader at bridgewater associated one of the largest head funds and he his one of his biggest quotes is um be radically open-minded right and i think that's something that i've embodied because i don't know i you know i don't know what i have a plan right of what tomorrow is going to look like but tomorrow may throw me a, a doozy right i just have to be open and 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 give and take what the world gives me absolutely is um you know I, I know the other kind of the reverse of everything we just said i guess the more aggressive tone is the uh the famous mike tyson quote everybody has a plan until you get punched in the nose very true. Very true. <laughs> so, uh, so no, it's perfect. And let me let me dig you up out the dark place just a little bit. Um, take it to this next question. And so, I love if you could share with our audience, you know, a tip, tool, or a tactic that works really well for building up intimate connections on teams that you led. Um, share with us what it is and how do you apply it? Yeah. So I use this approach in everything, right? Because I'm just a naturally inquisitive person. Um, it's the five whys, right? I use this as part of my consulting technique and just to be able to understand somebody. Um, and that's just continue to ask why, right? Like why, what is your, what's your thought process in doing this? Um, what's your, what's, you know, what's your reasoning? What's your baseline? What historical preference or what thing, what, what experience have you had historically to help you influence this, this decision? And I use that because it does many different things, right? Helps you really get to understand the baseline of your staff, right? Um, understand the way they think, understand some of their strengths and weaknesses um, in order for you to foster a more cohesive team. Um, those five whys, and, and also not just the five whys, but I also get to know, you know my team at the very, very base level. It's not just about work. I understand, like, I can, under, I can look at my team when they walk in one day, and understand when they're when they're having a bad day because I've put forth the effort to understanding who they were and what their baseline is on a day to day. Where if you know something that something goes away from that baseline, I know something's up. It, it makes makes me ask inquire about what's going on in their life. And what I've realized is that kind of circling back to that quote that we had earlier, right? People don't care how much you know until they know you care about them. Uh, and I've used that as one of my biggest motivators, right? Like I want to know my team, I want to know what they're thinking, and I want them to know me as well. Because if something happens to Bob, right, I can quickly fill in and act as Bob. Or if something happens to Akiwande, Bob can fill in and act as me because we're on the same accord. Now that takes time to build, right? But at least for me, that's what's been really, really successful. Understanding. Um, my staff at the baseline or my team at a, at a very, very base level. And then the way I do that is leveraging the five whys. No, it's fantastic. And I, I think, you know, I think you'll find, again, even with our audience, um, so many of our listeners connect with principles of organizational excellence. So things like lean or a Six Sigma, um, which are additional principles that 
speak to, you know, really the, the success of any business is going to come down to people, whether it's, you know, our internal people or our external people, be it customers or partners, vendors, and so forth. Um, so, yeah, I think everything you shared there, especially using the five whys, which is a classic approach within our world of healthcare improvement, um, you know, connecting that to growing relationships, I think that's going to resonate very well. So good stuff there. Um, next question I have for you is I'd love if you could share with us the best aha moment that you've had as a healthcare leader. But um, again, you know, kind of walk us through the moment. Um, how did the idea strike you? But definitely if you were able to turn it into a personal or a professional success. Yeah, um, I think one of the biggest aha moment that I recall was my tr when I was transitioning from the military um, to a civilian. Although I was, you know, as I mentioned, I was a dual, I was a civilian soldier at the same time. A lot of my personality heavily relied on my military experience. I had been deployed twice, I had gone through basic training, and I was still a soldier <laughs> every, every day. Uh, it was embodied in, in me. Um, so when I actually stopped being a soldier, when I left the military and actually started doing some consulting work, some of those leadership qualities kind of stayed innate in me, and even just my communication style. Um, if you're familiar with the, the military, right, everybody thinks about basic training or major pain, you know, in one of these instances where, you know, you're just yelling at your team um, and because they just honestly, the military is very hierarch hierarchical um, and you have to listen, you have to obey the rank that's above you. Um, in the civilian sector, that's not the case at all, <laughs> at all. Um, you know, people don't get motivated by, you know, your position in the company. They get motivated by, you know, their own self-interest. And that was an aha moment for me, like really understanding how to manage and motivate people coming from the military. Um, before we all had the same mission, we all had the same interest. It was like, hey, take charge that hill, drive on, listen to me because I'm your senior. Um, now you know, since that transition, it's more collaborative in nature. It's more so like, hey, what are your thoughts? Um, how can how can we how can we as a team um, make this project work? It requires a lot more buy-in from your staff to be able to get a, a 360 picture, a more holistic picture, because you're while you may have a good idea, other people may have 10, you know, 10 other good ideas or have ideas that could build upon your idea to make it really, really, really um, effective once implemented. Um, so I'd say that that's probably my biggest aha moment, like understanding how to communicate um, out of the military um, in, in a leadership role and being able to communicate um, outside of the military in a leadership role, I think has been the, the most instrumental thing um, in my career. Well, I, I will commend you on that because um, I would say that that leads to a lot of potential success or failure for folks coming from the military, especially coming into healthcare, but just transitioning overall. Um, I've had, I have a couple of friends and colleagues who are also um, past military folks that have transitioned. And, you know, the, from my conversations with them, especially if they're not in a position where they're leading, right? So you're, you're very fortunate because you're, you know, you're the founder of your company and you're leading a team. And so you can build that culture around them. But for military folks that I've come across also who are, you know, a part of the team and they're looking up to their leader and they're, they're used to a military, you know, military style of leadership. Um, if that leadership isn't strong, clear in their vision, 
you know, kind of ready to point the team in a direction and, and march forward, it, it can be frustrating. Um, and even for me, so I never had a military background, but I had a sports background. And it's the same thing from a sports mindset where, you know, I'm used to my coaches having a clear vision, pulling the team together, getting us all kind of pointed in the same direction of where we're trying to go. And when that doesn't happen, it gets frustrating. So um, just calling that out for our listeners, you know, being able to communicate your goals, your expectations, having appropriate leadership that can also pull the team together, communicate the goals, the vision, build the right team's culture. Um, all those things are very important. And Akawande, congratulations, you're finding success in it. And for our listeners, if you're not finding success, you know, be, be very observant and understand if that's, you know, causing any frustration and what do you want to do about it if so. So communicating and and finding better ways to to get clarity, I think probably are going to connect some dots. Most definitely, and it's not just and it's not just like verbal communication, right? It's also understanding non-verbal cues. That's the that's the that's the biggest way we communicate, right? Like non-verbally, the written communication is important as well. Um, like all forms of communication is something that I've learned to tap into even more so. And to your point, Jarvis, like even when there isn't a clear vision or a clear mission, right? It's about communicating like, hey, it's our opportunity to create it as a team, right? It's our opportunity to create this as a culture. The military didn't have that opportunity, right? It was just like, hey, you do this A to B. Now it's like, well, I have more autonomy. You know, there's some ambiguity here, but now I have the opportunity to step into a leadership role. You know, and I think that's also been important too, not just communication, but taking ownership that and taking ownership and having initiative um, to be able to communicate and, and corral people together for a, for the same vision, mission, and, and values. Well, and I, I like what you said there also with taking ownership. I think that that plays a huge part in it. I know for times I've been hitting the wall in my career path. I mean, I've had to sit back and reflect. And, and ultimately, I am the kind of person that would say, you know what, it was my fault. I didn't communicate well enough. I didn't set the bar high enough, whatever the case may have been. Um, and then I try to redirect, even when I'm not in the leadership position. Like if my boss and I are having issues, you know what, I didn't let him or her know what my expectations were. I mean, it's, it's just like a relationship in a lot of ways. But um, again, sharing all of that. So so hopefully that does resonate with anyone listening to this part, because I, I see it, especially continue to go through this pandemic and what healthcare folks are going through. So it's, it's stressing a lot of people in, in very unique ways. Um, awesome. You know, Akawande, let's change gears on this one. I would love, especially because of your very unique background, um, to understand what are some changes that are taking place across the healthcare industry right now that you're excited about? And then what roles do you see, uh, you know, not just quality professionals, but just healthcare leaders um, playing to promote or support us longevity? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, and I can only, I'm only going to speak from my experience, um, especially within the CDC and the VA, um, because they're both government agencies, a lot of their systems are a little bit outdated. Um, so what I've seen, like, as a huge initiative is, either data modernization or modernization of their entire healthcare system. Um, the reason why you know, data is important is because data helps us as healthcare professionals understand, you know, 
kind of forecast where whenever we'll see you know any public health issues as well as help us identify where to focus our efforts um, I think data, even not just in healthcare, but data has evolved so, so much. Um, and to continue to refine and clean that data to be able to provide insights to healthcare leaders um, is something that's infallible um, within the industry. Um, and that's primarily within CDC. For, for the VA, um, they're doing a lot of data modernization efforts by integrating a lot of the systems from um, Department of Defense networks. As you guys know, a lot of vet, a lot of people that you leverage the VA come from DOD. So modernizing and integrating systems with a lot of the De Department of Defense branches, as well as tying some of that some of the Department of Defense's high-level supply chain um, into the VA health system to be able to meet the needs of veterans a lot more quick, quickly and efficiently. Um, and we've seen a lot of issues within supply chain just within the last 18 months due to COVID-19. Um, so being able to get real-time data a lot more quickly to be able to make decisions and being able to get those supplies um, in a more efficient and more in a more effective manner um, to the people that, that needed it have been the, the two biggest things that I've seen um, within, within my role in the industry. And I'm just curious about that, just to explore it a little bit more, but um, is that, is the success specifically around those supply chain functions, is the success in that um, you think is going to be driven technology-wise, or is it I'm trying to put my place myself in the place of you know what that project and that that mm -hmm. what that work can start to look like, but um, I could almost see a lot of just very straightforward processes. So a lot of process focus, or is it a lot of technology focus, or is it I don't know all of the above? Yeah, it's a mixture of both, right? Like to your point, you mentioned people are you know our biggest resource in business, but so are processes and systems, right? Like being able to have things that are repeatable um, with with little to no um, quality issues is going to be important. So. A lot of the processes that the VA has, of course, the supply chain system already has it right now. It's about understanding how do we integrate two different organizations to have the same process and still be able to operate in a very, very effective manner. Um, so it's integrating the processes, right? Understanding which processes actually fit with the system and the system's needs. Um, it's also an overhaul in technology, right? So they're decommissioning their old supply chain system bringing on an already existing supply chain system to incorporate into a huge VA network. Um, and then also trying to understand who's on first, right? Like, of course, the VA is going to be is going to be um, paying a cost for for these services to their partner agency. But if there's issues, who's going to handle it? Is it going to be VA personnel or is it going to be DOD personnel? So also understanding like who actually owns the system who's gonna be responsible for management and operations, as well as what processes do we really need to look at to make this efficient? Maybe we need to get rid of some processes, maybe we need to enhance some processes, or maybe we need to leave some processes as is because they, they would work efficiently within both health systems. So it just really depends on what aspect of the implementation we're talking about. No, very fair. And you know something we, well, not we, something I glossed over over, but um, 
Akawande, I would love if you could just share really quickly. I mean, for for any of our listeners, absolutely for me. So as a as a business owner now, um, I've toyed with the idea of thinking I could pursue government contracts, and then I started to uh, Google the process and the the you know the the different steps that you have to go through. Um, could you just quickly, very high level, but what does it take to officially even pursue? Um, government business, because I, I want to highlight that just for our listeners yeah. to know that is, you know, with a, with a quote unquote normal business, I can go to a networking event tonight, um, connect with the business owner, or I could be doing business tomorrow, but that's not the case with the government. So could you just kind of highlight that? Because it's so important, I think, to, you know, to do work that you're doing, but to the process to even get to do that work. Um, again, I think it just adds so much to the story and the resilience that you've already kind of put. Yeah, most definitely, Jarvis. So being able to be ready to do business with the government does not require too much. It does require some level of effort, right? You have to have an LLC, of course, right? Um, you should have a bank account. Um, those are like the two basic things. The other thing is a DUNS number. Um, a DUNS number is a, something that's free, that's provided by DUNS and Bradstreet. Um, that typically what it does is it tracks your credit. It's, think of it as your business's social security number. So those three things are the top things. And then you'd have to register into the system for award management, also known as SAM. Um, SAM is a little bit of a cumbersome process, but it's not, you know, it's not, the work is not insurmountable. Um, it's, it, it could take anywhere from an hour to two um, if, it, if you're very, very detailed. Um, and those three components that I mentioned earlier, LLC, Duns and Bradstreet number, and a bank account are the, are the requirements really to be able to register into SAM. Once you're registered into SAM, you know, it's free game. You can do business with the government. But I must warn you to be very, very realistic. It's not that simple. Um, I think since I've registered my business um, to even be able to win a subcontract in, in, in the government, it's taken me upwards to four years. Um, so, you know, while the registration process to be able to do business with the government is very, very easy and it could take like it would to be approved and everything. And Sam, I would say no more than a month, maximum two months. But to actually win a government contract, there's a lot of education that is required um, in order for you to even be able to bid um, because the government's really, really, really specific in how they like to receive responses. Um, and also you should have a level of past performance. So you should have a level, your business should have a level of experience delivering quality work with nonprofits, with you know universities, with other businesses or individuals to show that you're capable of doing the work um, because the government isn't going to give money away um, to individuals who they don't believe is capable on, on delivering on that work. No, no, I appreciate that. So officially, I did make it through the SAMS process. Congrats. Um, and then I started getting, you know, the emails about different bid opportunities. Um, and that's kind of where I got scared at because the, you know, to read those bid statements and to try to pull, I mean, I almost felt like I was writing a, a I don't know, a dissertation or something. So, uh, so yeah, I, I did successfully make it that far. So you're right. You know, that, that concept of how simple it is, is there, but just the details, once you're ready to start bidding. Um, so again, I, I just wanted to highlight that really quickly because um, 
you know, what you're doing, it's it's not easy. It's absolutely doable, not easy. And you mentioned it, it took you four years to kind of capture your first great opportunity in that process. Um, so all of our listeners, again, I don't know what options you all may be considering, but know that this is a very good one because my understanding also is kind of once you're in, then you start to pick up really solid momentum. Um, but getting there, just know you got to work for it, but it's definitely an option that's out there. So I wanted to highlight that. I always try to kind of blend in elements of my corporate career in healthcare and now my entrepreneurial career in healthcare. So Akawanda, I appreciate you letting me go down that path with you. No worries. One one tidbit of advice as well. There's a ton of resources that the SBA um, offers for people who are looking to do business with the government. Um, my biggest advice is to contact your local um, procurement technical assistance center. It's also known as a PTAC. Um, in Georgia, we have one. Georgia Tech is a really, really good one. Um, and they do everything from like helping you understand your business model, developing a business plan, um, helping you develop a marketing strategy, um, helping you connect with state and local buyers, um, because that's always the best way before you get into federal contracting. Um, and they they're a wealth of resource. So any of you guys who are looking to do business in the government space, please, please, please contact your local um, procurement technical assistance center um, for any support that you may or may not need. Well, and it, it's interesting too, uh, right before the pandemic, I went to an event that was being held here. Um, so I live in DeKalb County here in Atlanta and they were basically like, guys, we have money, we have projects, we need vendors. And I mean, they, they were very straightforward with hurry up, go through the process to become a solidified vendor with us because um, we are looking to do business with local businesses. So if that is encouragement for any of our listeners, just know that um, it is, you know, it's a very, it seems to me at least to be a very favored process once you do all of your due diligence, an ideal vendor for these different projects. Most definitely. Um, perfect. I'll get back on script over here now. Um, can you share with me, um, you know, from, you know, your experiences with healthcare, what can healthcare itself, the industry itself do to become a more attractive place? Um, again, I'll, I'll kind of expand this, not just for quality professionals, but just healthcare leaders across the board, whether it's project management, quality improvement, just leadership or administration. Yeah. So when you say that, I, I kind of chuckle a bit, Jarvis, because I think when I look at, because I'm, I'm heavily into the stock market, right? When I look at the different industries, aside from the financial industry, so like the banking industry, healthcare reigns supreme, right? Even when I look at it from a government perspective, healthcare is the number one thing that government spends money on. Number two is Department of Defense, is, is defense. So I think, to, you know, to, to kind of answer your question, I don't necessarily know if there's anything that um, the healthcare industry can do, right, to promote themselves. I think they're already everywhere, especially with the pandemic, you know, kind of still going on um, and other public health scares across the world. I think it's up to us as individuals to really educate ourselves in, you know, what's really out there, right? Like to your point, you just named five different careers. You named, um, you know, a lot of times when I think about healthcare, predominantly, I think of the, the basics, right? Like doctor, nurse, um, nurse practitioner, um, surgeon, but healthcare is so broad. 
Um, I, I've done, again, as I mentioned, I did some uh, pharma consulting work support and I, as a project manager or portfolio manager doing call center operations, right? Like that's part of healthcare, right? Call center operations. I was doing data integrations, you know, making sure that we're able to communicate between two different health systems. So like even cybersecurity, right? Like thinking about HIPAA, thinking about different privacy laws that are coming coming into the industry, into the healthcare industry. I think that the opportunity has never been so, you know, so broad and so available as it is now. So I would just say, you know, I don't necessarily think the industry needs to do anything to inform individuals. I think we need to do our, you know, us as individuals need to do our own due diligence. If we have an interest in, um, you know, cybersecurity, there's a role for you in healthcare. Um, if you have an interest in, uh, artificial intelligence, there's definitely a role for you in, in healthcare. If, if you have an interest in mechanical engineering, the VA works on various prosthetic um, projects as well as the Department of Defense um, to be able to help veterans who have lost a limb. So again, there's the, the opportunities are limitless. It's just about really understanding who you are, what you wanna do, how you wanna be involved and finding and networking talking to the individuals that are currently in this role, in these roles, to be able to see if that's a, the right fit for you. Um, so I saw, I'm sorry if I just kind of went completely off script to say, what else, what can the healthcare industry do? Um, I really don't believe there's that much more they can do because they're every, we're everywhere. Um, it's just really about taking time, understanding ourselves, understanding the, the various opportunities that are out there um, and then tapping in. Well, I I almost felt like I paid you to say something and everybody knows that I didn't, but you know, if, if there was ever, um, if there was ever a, a soundbite that I could use to describe what I truly hope this podcast is all about is actually everything you just, um, that's the whole, you know, my whole vision for this podcast is to get leaders like yourself and so many other great other leaders to continuously expose that type of a mindset for our listeners to say, you know, what do you want to do? Define your value um, and then figure out how to bring it into this industry because the industry needs it. Um, if it's going to be a value add and if it's going to take, help us take the next step to hopefully reduce the total cost of providing exceptional health care to, uh, to the world. Um, yeah, I, I could not have, like, I'm just sitting back like, oh, we could, we could stop talking now. We're done. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, I, I absolutely love it. Um, man, I'm sorry. I just needed a minute to like take it all in. That was, that was exceptionally well said. So um, Akawande, you know, you are clearly killing this interview, knocking it out the park. Um, I appreciate it so much. Um, I want to transition us uh, into the second part of our, of our interview right here. I call it the two minute drill kind of my take on a rapid fire Q&A and just checking to see if you're ready to go. Yeah, most definitely. All right, perfect. Well, Hakawande, the first question I have for you, it's something of a two-parter where I'd love for you to tell our audience something about your current role that inspires you to do your best and then share with us how do you inspire others within your organization? Yeah, um, I think for me, the, the thing that inspires me to do my best are, are like my ethos, right? Like the first thing we talked about was be the light that you want to see. Now that's really, really general, but like, for me and my clients, it's like, I need to develop, I need to create an impact, um, whether it be on a Monday, and I say happy Monday, right, to change your whole mood for the entire week, or delivering a presentation to help you understand 
um, where your organization is, is going to go within the next five to 10 years. So it's really, for me, what motivates me is just being able to develop, to add value into any organization that I'm supporting or that I'm a part of, um, and actually being able to quantify the impact that I've provided um, into, into, into numbers, right? Like, because at the end of the day, life is about numbers, right? So being able to deliver impact that's quantifiable and also be able to stand, stands I wouldn't say the test of time, but to be able to be sustainable over a period of time. Um, the, the other question, what was the other question, Jarvis? So how, how do you inspire others within the organization? Um, how do I inspire others? I think for me, it's just leading by example and bringing, bringing my best every day. Um, if I'm able to kind of set that tone, um, the, what I've seen um, with, 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 you know, a positive attitude and a positive mentality, it's infectious. It trickles down to others in your organization to help foster that type of culture. Um, so those are, I would say those are probably the two things, always add value um, and, and it kind of trickles down to the organization as well. Like how do I add value to the organization? I bring my best. I bring my true self to work and I try to be um, the best that I could possibly possibly be each and every. Wonderful. I love it. And what's the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Um, <laughs> fail fast. Um, I think that's the biggest, biggest one. I think a lot of us are, present company included, um, are afraid to fail, which is understandable, right? Nobody wants to fail. Nobody wants to um, go through that low point in their life. But um, I think there's a quote that says, you know, pressure makes diamonds, right? Being uncomfortable uh, and have it reaching that low point helps you understand, helps you or gives you time to be introspective, understand what you've done wrong or brought you to this place in order, in order to learn from those mistakes and learn from those failures. And so you don't, you know, do them again. Um, hopefully you become stronger. Um, and the more you fail, the, the quicker you fail, the stronger you'll be um, in, in, the, in the long run. I love it. Actually, right before our call, I got off the, the line with um, with my business coach and I was sharing with her some ideas that I had around my business. And she literally was just like, what are you waiting on? She, you know, she like gave me this look like get out there, go like even if it's a failure to your point, like go do it, figure out what you're going to learn and come back better. Yeah. Um, so fail, fail fast. Love it. Definitely definitely pushes us to grow if nothing else so yeah. and, and and Jarvis you mentioned you're a sports guy right like when you're in the weight room when you when you first started lifting weights you weren't throwing up heavy weights right you were throwing up very very light weights and you were sore for the next couple of days and you went back at it and you were still sore and after a while you stopped being sore that's the same mentality that I have about failing fast right like yeah it's gonna suck over and over again I keep failing but eventually I'll learn how to walk I'll get it I'll figure it out and I'll and then I'll start running well, you know, the, the, the weightlifting uh, analogy there makes perfect sense because when you think about it, you go into the gym, you're actually breaking down your muscles. And when they build back up, they're building stronger. So break it down, come back stronger. Love it. Love it. Um, Akawanda, if you could trade jobs with anyone in your organization or even a client, I guess, as you're leading your organization, uh, with whom would it be and why? <laughs> um, this answer is really easy. It would definitely be my wife. Um, she supports the she supports the Avery Group. Um, 
very, very intimately. And she's the only one who's able to boss me around. Um, so that's probably why I choose her. Um, and, and not to mention, she's an extremely intelligent woman. Um, that's that's who I, I definitely switch places up. I want to be able to boss me around too. <laughs> All right, fair enough. You know, my wife and I have talked about it and I was like, I don't know if I don't know if I'm ready for her to boss me around any more than she already does in the household. So, um, but yeah, we, we've talked about exploring her coming in from different times. Um, so good job, good job. Shout out to, uh, to, to the wife there. And next question I have for you, uh, could you please share with us a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading um, project initiatives? Um, so I'm going to actually take it up a little bit high level, Jarvis, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, so I think about when, when when I start my day in the past, right, I've always woken up and just like reacted. Um, what I've done with my day lately, I guess not lately, but over the last two years is that I've been more conscious of being proactive about my day. So I'll wake up early um, and practice like the acronym I use is SAVERS. Um, what that stands for is silence, affirmation. Um, I visualize what I want to achieve. Um, I exercise, I read, and then lastly, scripting. I'm working on scripting, but ultimately I use it as my time to put together a to-do list. Um, I found that habit really, really helpful because you know, I struggle with some anxiety. So exercise helps knock out that anxiety. I struggle with um, imposter syndrome and self-doubt, right? So having that, having that, those affirmations and actually visualizing what I'm looking to achieve helps me understand that it is very, very attainable. And I have two children. I have two small children um, under four. So I really need silence. And that's what the first 10 minutes of my day is just really decompressing, getting my mind to my, get, getting my thoughts to myself, meditating, um, just thinking through, you know, what's, what are some of the things that I've been struggling with, some of the things that I've been challenged with. Um, and really that to start off my day really powers me to, to kind of hit the ground running. I'm already, I've already accomplished a lot more than other people have done um, in such a short time in the beginning of the day. Um, I'm already sending out emails um, or pre-sending out, pre-writing emails at seven o'clock in the morning before, you know, right when everybody's getting up. So I'd say that's been the most, the most beneficial thing I've implemented in my life um, to help me manage my team, manage my family, and also manage the business. Wonderful. And is that, that's, was it Miracle Mornings? Yes, sir. Right. Love it. I, I've given that book a couple of plugs on our podcast. Um, I, I follow it in my own special way. I'm probably not perfect with the SAVERS acronym, but um, to your point, I mean, I get up at 444 every single morning. Um, on the weekends, I get up at 530. So I try to keep to a very, very early start. And I have my own routine of exercising, kind of have a few minutes to myself, et cetera, just like you just shared um, to our audience member. You know, if you guys do not have, I guess, a solid morning routine that just helps you be productive, um, check out Miracle Mornings. That's definitely where you can get some more info on that process. Um, and the guy's story that wrote it, I mean, he's just crazy, phenomenal story as well. Um, but no, I, I'm so appreciative that you shared that because I try to do it and it's really changed my last couple of years of personal productivity as well. So um, I love it. 
the next question I have for you, trying to pick up, this is what happens when I go off script, I always forget, <laughs> forget where I am. Um, what is a go-to website or a mobile application that helps you to execute on the work that you lead? Yeah, um, this is probably a very, very simple answer. Um, it, I'm not sure if you've heard of this company before, it's called Google. Um, they have everything. <laughs> um, not only Google though, but I use um, Microsoft Teams a lot. Um, and even before Teams, I use Slack. I've used you know a lot of a lot of collaborative um, tools. Um, just because, as I mentioned, I think collaboration helps breed the best ideas. Um, so I leverage the, the type of tools that you know I can have real time collaboration with my team um, in order to be able to deliver on projects. And then of course, um, there's so many things that I don't know. You know, Google has been the best resource that I've ever had in my professional career. Um, thinking back, like when I used to write book reports, I used to use the Encyclopedia Britannica. You know, I don't have to worry about that anymore. I have everything, I have everything within access at the, at the tip of my fingertips. So um, I'd say those are probably the, the two main tools that I, or software that I use. All right, well, you know, you, you brought up an Encyclopedia Britannica. I mean, I grew up with old school encyclopedia. So for our young listeners, um, think of if Wikipedia was a book, it would be called Encyclopedia Britannica. So um, could you share with us a, a professional society or a professional conference that you think would be a value add? Yeah. Um, I mean, for healthcare professionals, most definitely NASI. Um, I'm, I used to be a member. I, I, I support them a lot. I think they have uh, great, great resources, great educational tools. Um, as well as a great network. I know Jarvis, you're currently the president of the Atlanta chapter. Uh, um, and I've met a lot of chapter members within Atlanta and I mean, stellar, 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 stellar membership. Um, I'm gonna give a plug to my organization as well. Um, if you're interested in government contracting, I would suggest uh, National Contract Management Association. Um, they provide a lot of education, especially in the Atlanta metro area. They provide a lot of education to small business owners um, and also put you in proximity to, with government buyers and government contracting officers. Um, of course, you know, we don't want a conflict of interest, but um, as you start building relationship and, and as you start building past performance within each of your individual businesses, um, contracting officers could help facilitate um, introduction to program staff or um you know winning a government contract so those would be my two um, organizations to join perfect love both of those um if you could recommend one book to our quality people what would it be and why um my favorite book of all time um and guys don't think i'm like a big jarvis don't think i'm a huge reader right like i just i'll say within the last five years i became like an avid reader before i hated it um, and one of the first books that I read that kind of put me on this path is How to Win Friends and Influence People. Um, if you guys haven't, can't tell, um, people mean a lot to me, managing, working with, collaborating um, with people. And that book really helps you understand people in its entirely. It helps you address conflict. It helps you um, kind of change other people's mind, like persuade, it teaches you art, the art of persuasion. Um, it helps you understand how to get people to buy into you. Um, and they leverage a lot of case studies from 
history's most prolific leaders. Um, I read that book at least once a year um, because there's so many gems in it. Um, again, that's how to win friends and influence people. Um, that'd probably be my, my favorite book of all time. Yeah, absolute classic. I love hearing that you read it once a year because I have a small selection of books that I read at least once a year because some books like that, you, you can't read and take everything in. You, you read it, you take something from it, you apply it, you come back again. You read it, take something more. So um, absolute classic. Love that recommendation. Um, very last question, man. We, we've had an amazing conversation, but um, this very last one I have for you is a personal favorite because I like to get you to reflect on your past while also having you look forward to your future. So let's say that we're sitting here um, and, and you have the ability to send one text message to yourself 10 years into the past and one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a second and think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? Um, to the past, I think I would say um, don't rush life. Um, don't rush life and be resilient would be what I'd say to my past self. Um, and then to my future self, I would ask a question, did we accomplish everything that we set out to? Um, want to, cause I mean, at the end of the day, I have goals, right? Like I have a vision of where I want to be 10 years down the line. Um, and I, I want to remain resilient. I want to stay the course, right? And I want to accomplish everything that I've set forth for myself. So only my future self could answer that. Um, so that those would probably be my two, two um, questions or statements to, to both of myself. Well, I, I can say, you know, based on so much of the short story that you shared today, I could one day that um, resilience, I, I don't even know if you have any other option in your DNA, man. Yeah, I get the feeling you're gonna figure out how to accomplish any and all the goals you're setting forth for yourself. I, um, I love the fact that you're, you know, you're so people-centered. So on top of creating and succeeding in your goals, I imagine the amount of leaders and successful people you're gonna branch out um, and, and kind of grow under you. So um, I, I'm honored just to have this connection from our first conversation a few weeks ago to today. I'm just really excited about, you know, the new business leader and partner that I, I've learned about today. Um, before I let you go, I, I love if you could share just a parting piece of advice with our quality people. Um, please share the best way that they can follow you um, on social media. And, and please take a moment to highlight the Avery Group as well, um, where they can learn more about your business. And then we'll officially sign off. Most definitely. So quality people, it's been a pleasure um, to, to have this conversation with Jarvis and, and you guys today. Um, you can contact me um, on LinkedIn. Um, it's my name, Akiwande Oshodi. Very, very long, but I should be the only one there. Um, and you can also uh, learn a little bit more about the Avery Group on our website. It is www.thetheaverygroupllc.com. Um, a little some parting advice is kind of just recapping a lot of the things that I said today. Um, be the light that you want to see in the world. Um, you know, there's so many people that are out here depressed, unhappy, um, trying to figure it out. Um, just have some confidence in yourself and just know that everything's going to work out. Um, may not work out exactly the way you want it to be, but it will work out. Um, remain resilient um, and put your people first. Um, would be my my takeaways. All right, wonderful. And thank you guys for this opportunity.
Uh, thank you. Thank you again for plugging in with us and to our quality people everywhere. Thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis and Akawande, and we're signing off. Quality people, thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn, where I share additional resources, access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.